Welcome to The Mentors Who Made Me, a podcast brought to you by Grasp, the mentoring platform that is transforming the way people learn and connect in organisations. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Mentors Who Made Me. Today, we are talking to Kenny Tomoe. Kenny is Head of Leadership Development and Learning at Improbable and also specialises in experience design in large organisations. In some of Kenny's previous roles, he has helped with behavioural transformation and cultural change in companies such as Johnson Johnson, Vodafone and Aviva, to name just a few. So, Kenny, hello. Hey, Lucinda. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure, yeah. Really delighted. So, the little that I know of you, Kenny, obviously, um, I can't know it all. Um, we've only really met a week ago. Um, but I do know that you have had a really fascinating background. Um, so let's start with that. Let's uh, tell us a little bit about your about you and your career journey so far and how you got to where you are today. Thanks. Yeah, I'd love to. And uh, and thanks for having me again on, on, on the podcast. So I guess I could break my career sort of journey into sort of three parts. Uh, I think the first bit is where I was a bit of a performer on the stage in, in two senses of the word. Um, the second bit was sort of striking out on my own. Um, and then the third bit was sort of moving more into the corporate um, side of things. So start with the first bit. I started out my career as a sixth form college lecturer um, in creative arts and um, I guess critical thinking slash philosophy. It was uh, an opportunity to really ask and think hard about life's sort of existential questions with um, 16 to 18 year olds so that's sort of college in in the UK um, I spent about nine years doing that sort of really cutting my teeth on sort of developing my sort of facilitator muscles if, if you like um, and then I say performer because there was this sort of being on the stage in front of um, older students or they looked like they should have been full-time jobs because <laughs> they were so big some of them um, and then by night I was also a, a session singer so I would be on uh, sort of go on tours to South Africa and other places. Wow, and amazing! Perform with the likes of sort of uh, Westlife and, and some of those. Um, and that's, and that's days, singing, sorry, yeah, singing. That was singing. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. amazing. So sort of top of the pops where um, there was lots of miming. So I'm not sure if I could always <laughs> call it singing, <laughs> but half of the time singing, and I'm sure wonderfully as well <laughs> to be oh, at that level as, as yeah. well. You know, that's amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's something I, I, I don't do as much as I'd, I'd like. Um, and then I guess the second part, and just to sort of be brief, is um, I struck out on my own and, and trained to coach and uh, using various tools, um, psychometric tools and things like that. Um, and, and and then I became, a, a, I guess, a, a head of uh, learning and development uh, in a social enterprise. Um, it's a small sort of startup, I guess, uh, focused on, on leadership development. Uh, and then sort of fast forward into that last bit, a sort of corporate world, I joined a consulting firm um, where I worked with some of the clients that you mentioned on things like sort of culture change, uh, you know, experience design and leadership development and learning. And then finally at Improbable, which if your listeners aren't aware, is a, uh, we're a games company, um, kind of global, global organization um, with uh, some pretty uh, fun and amazing games on the horizon. And I'm the head of leadership development and learning. And I can see that's, that's a really great way to kind of tie in, I guess, your creative side with your corporate side with a company like exactly. Improbable, right? Does that fit really Precisely, well? Precisely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, um, yeah, it feels like a, a match made in heaven in some ways. Fantastic. And of, of course, the, um, 
the name of the podcast is the mentors who made me so um you know across that fascinating kind of journey um and career that you've had um have you had any any mentors along the way i have and and um it's interesting i haven't necessarily seen them as as mentors as such um uh, but i've had about i had to say three three people who have had a really influential um uh kind of impact on my life if you like uh and i was thinking about the word mentor and was doing some reading and and learned that it, it comes from um the greek myth of the king who who asked a mentor who was an older sort of wise person um to look after his his son um in the king's absence and so there's this sort of um kind of pastoral um, oh. um, nature to the idea of being a, a mentor. And so my recent mentor, I guess, Nick Shackleton-Jones, who's probably listening, he was uh, my, my boss, my line manager in my previous organisation. And I think we definitely had that relationship. And I'd, I'd call, he probably wouldn't see himself as a mentor. I'd call him <laughs> more a friend as well. But, but it was that sort of kind of impact where particularly when it comes to thinking hard about leadership development and, and yeah. issues of leadership development, he sort of um, switched me on to, to all of that. And then just sort of thinking about philosophical life questions. And then two others, my uncle um, on my wife's side, my wife's yeah. um, uh, uncle, um, we've been really close over the last sort of 10 years uh, that we've been married. And um, he's definitely been a mentor. He's an academic at South Bank. And uh, uh, again, it's just sort of been able to, to help me to look ahead um, uh, when it comes to sort of career progression. And then indirectly, I guess, um, a man called Dallas Willard, who is a philosopher uh, who passed away in 2013, but I've actually never met him. Right. But in some ways, he's kind of the father I never had, if, 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 if you want to put it like that. Yeah. Um, he's, um, he's, yeah, he's a philosopher at USC, but um, uh, he, he also comes from a sort of Christian background. So he's got the best of kind of the world both worlds when it comes to sort of really thinking deeply about life and although i've never met him he's really helped me sort of think through existential questions that i've had over the years so a bit of a long one but yeah three yeah, mentors no, that's that been, fantastic and yeah. and you know they uh, you, you kind of showed the scope of i guess what a mentor actually is there by kind of going from the original um definition or kind of reference to a mentor um you know right through to you know having someone that you haven't met but you've kind of been able to you know absorb their advice um yeah. you know through reading or you know audio or whatever and yeah. and that kind of that's that's really interesting and do you, do you find that it's it, that your mentoring has all come organically? It's been something that has it has there been something in you that you've kind of said, I want to learn this and you've gone to find a mentor or has the mentor kind of presented itself at the right time? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So, yeah, I've never I've never worked in companies where there's been a formal mentoring program um, for one of a better sort of phrase. Yeah. Um, and. I think whenever I've wanted to to learn how to do something, I guess like most people, I go on Google or I go on YouTube, uh, or I think about friends who, who might sort of be kind of expert in that area. Um, I think I see, but I think I see mentoring as far more relational um, in many ways. Yeah. And so uh, the only time I've reached out to someone for kind of mentoring has been, um, where there's been an ongoing kind of challenge, I guess. So I remember, I remember my last company reaching out to someone recommended a person and, and said, look, I think you should speak to this person because I just think he's just great to have as a mentor. So I did, I reached out to them and because and, there was this ongoing thing that I was trying to work on. But actually we didn't end up 
we just had the one meeting and then I realized that, um, you know, if you haven't got the chemistry with somebody, um, then it's quite hard to sustain a, a mentoring relationship. That, that's what, that was my experience anyway. That was, that was actually a really great insight into, I guess, some of the positives from, from mentoring, but also some of the negatives, I guess, from, from forcing the relationship. I, I think, you know, anything that we've kind of discovered as, as Grasp as a company, but also through this podcast, is that the more you can make something, make the mentoring relationship and help facilitate an organic relationship that helps mm. and just, I guess, helps um, increase visibility um yeah rather than kind of force two people together um is certainly like the positive that i i heard come from from your experience in terms of a mentor themselves what do you what to you makes a great mentor i think one of the things is is clearly experience and knowledge um feel like sort of obvious ones um so in a particular area um uh, but then once that that feels like sort of the ticket to entry i think that that's sort of a standard requirement um, but beyond that I think um, some some sort of interpersonal skill it's really hard I mean let's face it when you're a mentee or when you're someone that needs help with a, a challenge that you've got or wants someone to sort of guide you you almost sort of get you you take the, the advice and guidance where you can get it and if the if the person's you know interpersonal skill isn't that great or they're not that empathetic or they're not the best listeners you kind of think well do you know what I'm getting some advice and guidance for you um, from you, um, so so that, that that's kind of fine. Um, so so I think it, that there's and that makes me think there's probably about three kinds of mentors. You've got a sort of um, um, maybe more of the sort of subject matter expert type mentor, someone who clearly knows about this topic, and you're looking uh, you're looking to understand. Uh, how you can sort of get to where they are or, or sort of guide us around that. But then you've got a more sponsoring type mentor, I think, someone who, um, let's say you join an organisation and they sponsor you, they take you under their wing, they share tidbits and um, they kind of pass on information and hints to you that they're sort of getting from their network. And then maybe if you've got a promotion case coming up, they sort of, you know, Put, put a sort of a good word in for you and they sort of sort of back you up and support you. So someone that can see you and your potential and sponsor you. But then uh, there's, I think, more developmental mentor. So someone who is more of the traditional mentor where they sort of pour a lot into you. Uh, maybe they, they use a coaching hat sometimes as well, but it's far more, there's a stronger relational dynamic there. So I guess to answer your question around what, what do I look for? What do I think is important? I think it depends on the kind of mentor you're after. If you're, if you're looking for that subject matter expertise, then obviously that's going to be crucial. You, you may want someone that really understands the business. So that kind of sponsoring type mentor, or you might want someone who is um, really pastoral uh, and can really invest time in, in your sort of development for that sort of last last kind of class of mentor if you like yeah and I guess that really comes down to the mentee themselves taking a bit of accountability there really isn't it it's kind of yeah. really thinking well why do I want a mentor you know um or maybe they don't think they they need a mentor but someone suggested it and and they kind of yeah. have to look a little bit inward to think well what kind of mentor would suit my my kind of learning style right yeah yeah and it's you know we talk a lot about reverse mentoring which is interesting yeah. right and, yeah um which just shows that it doesn't have to be this teacher pupil relationship necessarily in the kind of a hierarchical kind of way um it just really just depends um on um on what someone wants to get get out of it um and as you say informal organic 
um, approaches, I think, think tend to tend to work best. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, talking about kind of the learning aspect, especially with your background and experience, how closely related yeah. do you think mentoring and kind of learning and development are? Really, really closely related, I think. Um, um, so, my my colleague and, and uh, who I was mentioning earlier, Nick Shafton Jones, talks about defines learning as um, a shift or change in your capability that occurs as a result of of memory, um, and and I think the, the the sort of mentoring context is so an affectively rich context um, where by there is a there's a relationship there um, and there's hopefully it's a, a bit of a bond there because that person cares for you so there's a great deal of care um, in the relationship so I think it's far more likely that you're you're going to learn um, in that space and it's um I think it kind of harks back to sort of antiquity and sort of you know thousands of years ago where there was more of an, an apprenticeship type model yeah. um, where you would sort of come alongside someone and kind of um, the, the 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 sort of the Jewish rabbis would describe it as kind of walking in the walking in the dust of a rabbi or something like that, and it would <laughs> yeah. be this picture of um, a sort of a, a young scholar walking in the dust of their rabbi, sort of chasing their rabbi and sort of following following them. Um, and although we don't think of mentoring in, in, in quite those terms now, um, I think that model, that sort of rabbi apprenticeship model, is all, all about learning because you're learning those kind of spaces, um, and in in sort of common parlance we talk about seven twenty ten as sort of learning and development jargon but, yeah. but essentially what that means is you know um that broadly speaking 70 percent of our experience in terms of where we learn comes from sort of on the job sort of um uh kind of development and and, and challenges and then there's a 20 that comes from that sort of social um dynamic sort of being exposed to different things particularly through community groups online or, or, or through coaching or mentoring. And then there's that sort of 10%, roughly speaking, again, which is more formal classroom learning. So, again, I say all that to say I think um, mentoring probably fits into that um, that sort of middle 20 piece. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned a lot about kind of experience there and, and going to, I guess, your kind of specialist area of experience design. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about how how you d would describe experience design um, to someone and, and how can experience design um, help overall with kind of workplace culture? Oh, good question. That was a big one. Really that was a big questions. one, wasn't it? It was a very no, intellectual <laughs> question. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to steal some of these questions when I'm coaching um, other people. Um, so, so the question again is, how would I describe yeah learning to, to someone um, experience uh, design so experience you, you, design. I, I guess yeah. I, you know, I'm saying experience design because I kind of I, I know that's kind of a background area and it's kind of a, a term used but you, you spoke a lot there about kind of experience within the learning space um yeah. and and I know that you have kind of you know you've, you've helped companies with a kind of experience design in terms of kind of learning and culture in the past so mm. it's just kind of really trying to explain that to to someone who maybe the term isn't as familiar um with them and and kind of yeah just kind of let us know kind of how experience design for a company can kind of help help with their workplace yeah. culture so i think probably a good place to start is um there was some there was a book written about 30 years ago now by Michael Lombardo, who um, 
him and his colleagues also wrote a book called For Your Improvement, which is, I guess, a development manual that's used at a lot of companies uh, like Apple and other corporates. Um, and, they, and his book was, or their book was called The Lessons of Experience, um, How Successful okay. Executives Develop on the Job. And a lot of my work now is kind of as executive facing. So working with um, um, execs or VPs and, and either one-to-one coaching or in some more consulting roles. Um, but anyway, they spoke to about 200 execs and asked them to identify you know, three key experiences that led to a lasting change uh, in the way they managed. Um, very few of them, <laughs> you won't be surprised <laughs> to know, said, you know, a classroom experience. Instead, they sort of said challenging real life assignments, hardships or failures, um, or indeed even sort of personal life experiences uh, was sort of high in the, in the response responses. So I guess, you know, how does experience design or how can experience design help? with learning development help organizations. Uh, well, essentially, if you want your people to develop, if you want to shift behaviors, um, then designing experiences is going to be the, the sort of uh, most effective way in doing that because experience design rests on the premise that we learn through challenges. You know, so if I asked you, Lucinda, you know, when, what was a, describe a defining moment in your life. Okay. It was probably a time where you were learning it absolutely lots. is. And multiple. Yeah. I could think of multiple defining moments and they were all extremely challenging moments for me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 um, so that's it. So I guess, you know, again, a lot of my thinking and has been challenged by, by my colleague that I mentioned earlier, Nick Shackley Jones, and I've been sort of doing my own thinking around that. And I think we're in a place where, so I went to a, a an experience design college, if you like, called um, the, uh, College of Extraordinary Experiences in Poland. Oh, amazing. Pretty, pretty funny. What an amazing name um, as well. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty cool name, right? Um, shout out to Paul Balencia and Klaus Rastad, if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but there again, we really thought a lot about, you know, what does it mean to do experience design? Is it just yeah. a fancy, fancy name? And I just think, well, actually, no. You know, if, you, if you've got a birthday party, you're doing an experience design, you want it to be memorable. Um, if you're planning a wedding, that's experience design. You want it to be memorable. Yeah. Um, and what we're just trying to say is so much of corporate life and work life can be very, un- very forgettable. Yeah. Um, and how can we design that, which hopefully when done well, leads to productivity and greater levels of engagement. And, and you know, that's a very, I guess, again, that's where your kind of creative side really comes in, which, which obviously you have a lot of. How do you think creativity um, affects your personal learning experience? Well, um, I remember I was doing some research um, during, I was studying for a master's and did some research around creativity. And I, I never forget someone saying, you know, creativity is, is simply messing around until you, you find something interesting. Like yeah. but he just talked about it as sort of play you know just sort yeah. of being quite playful and so how does creativity affect my learning or, or, or sort of impact linked to my learning I think I, I try to experiment yeah. um I try to be a bit playful in the way I sort of approach things so um certainly internally at Improbable um you know we advocate a kind of a test and learn approach you know it's it's a big part of um agile methodology or sort of engineering uh, kind of processes you sort of prototype you test and you you, you kind of you learn from that um so i think that's kind of an aspect of, of, of creativity um and then I, I, I think i think there's another aspect of creativity which doesn't always translate into um what you might call explicit knowledge 
Um, so something where you sort of, you think, oh, yes, I know, I think I know this very clearly. And I find, so to give you a concrete example, and this may sound really weird and esoteric or whatever, but um, if I get on the guitar or I get on the piano and I start playing something, I often feel different on the other end. And I feel like something's often going on at a deeper level, but I'm not quite sure what's shifted. But something internally, if you like, feels like it, it, something's shifted. Um, yeah. I feel perhaps more clarity. Um, uh, maybe I feel calmer. Um, or maybe I, I get an aha moment. Um, so I think that creativity, uh, whether that be art, whether that be whether it be the creative arts or other forms, um, because obviously creativity isn't just about music, art, and dance. Mm. Um, I think that plays a role um, in learning, but um, in what you might call sort of tacit, people talk about tacit knowledge. Michael Polanyi, you talk about tacit knowledge. So the kind of knowledge which, you know, we know more than we can tell, right? There are things we know about that we probably can't articulate clearly. Uh, and I think music and, 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 and art um, helps us get in touch with that sort of, um, sort of tacit dimension. That sounds like a little bit of the answer to this final question I have for you, it, which is what's your why for, for your <laughs> career and learning journey? You know, you know, what's what's the big motivator for you? Hmm, what's my why? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's like a Simon Sinek question, isn't it? It is a little. I think we all your... need to know our why. Um, yeah. And it changes, doesn't it, over over the years? But um, be, I think it's always it be... important to know. You're absolutely right. <laughs> would it be unfair if I said, you go first? <laughs> 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 oh, that's a, a little bit unfair. No, it's not okay, too no, no, unfair I'm just, I'm just I have joking. asked I'm just... you many um, hard questions. Um, for me, my why is learning, actually. Um, yeah. I just, I, it's learning and creativity. You know, if I can be, if I can mix creativity with learning, then I'm happy. Um, yeah. it's, the, it's the biggest motivator um, for me. That's a great your, answer. Your turn now. Your turn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for indulging me. Um, no, it's a really good answer. So I think, in, in our team, in our previous team, we used to talk about sort of what's your one word, um, if there was one word to describe you. And I think that that is another sort of access point into that question. Um, and, and the one word I'd probably describe is kind of insight for me. Mm. And uh, the thing that's drawn me into coaching is I... So so uh, let's let, I'll tell you a, a short story. So my, my wife's a, a singer-songwriter and she often performs at sort of different events and on this occasion she was performing at um, BBC radio um, station and I never forget at the end of the performance uh, I say performance but we were just literally in the radio station it wasn't anything fancy yeah. we sort of walked out and I was talking to the host and I couldn't I almost couldn't help myself but ask questions and um, be really interested in her world uh, and I and I can sometimes want to go deep and get depth very quickly. And I've had to learn that not everybody appreciates that, and not, or not everybody sort of wants to go deep very quickly, yeah. um, or, or or at all for that matter. Um, and so, so so why am I saying that? I guess that was a reminder for me that yes, insight is something that's very important for me, but also I, I genuinely am interested in in people, which is why I mm. I, I trained to, to coach. Um, and I'm interested in, in, in um, surfacing depth and really helping people sort of get to grips with, um, uh, I guess, almost existential challenges and questions of life. But, but it doesn't have to be that sort of um, deep and complicated. It may just be helping them make sense of their own, their own worlds, either using the format of kind of, uh, kind of 
learning and development through sort of training and experience design, all the sort of one-to-one experiences that yeah. uh, that we might design. I think Bridge, Bridgewater Associates, I think they talk, um, talk about obsession. I think it was Ray Dalio. I'm not sure who it was, but this idea of being obsessed about something. Mm-hmm. And I think one's why is connected to, you know, and you might use the word purpose and passion. And what is that thing that you're obsessed about that you just always do? Uh, Strengths finder often surfaces this. Uh, and for me, it's, it's that looking for insight and, and looking for depth with um, when I'm speaking to people. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And, and yeah, it sounds like you're very people centric, which um, kind of makes complete sense with how your kind of career path has gone and, um, hmm. and the mentors that you kind of shared with us today. So thank you so much. Um, so for everyone listening, um, remember to follow us on all the usual social media channels and subscribe to our monthly Grasp Discovery email via our website www.grass.hr this way you can keep fully up to date with the latest podcast interviews as well as have access to tons of amazing resources to inspire you either as an individual or as a company to join us in redefining mentoring in the workplace kenny thank you so much oh it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me i've enjoyed it